0: Our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. and there was the baby, lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. The word of the Lord.
1: Morning, everybody. How are you? I heard fine, great, good, and really good. That's right. That's awesome. Oh, earrings. Okay, great. So glad that you're here. Uh, This morning I got a question for you. You can just respond with uh, your hands raised. we will do a little poll here within the room. Uh, How many of you believe in miracles? And I'm not talking about like a sunrise or like my wife's peanut butter marshmallow bars that she makes around Christmas time. Both of those things are amazing. I don't know if they qualify as miracles per se. How many of you believe in miracles? That's a good amount of people here. Good showing in the room. Okay. How many of you think that miracles still happen today? Oh, that's about the same. Okay. Uh, How many of you have experienced a miracle in your life? Oh, wow. That's a really good showing of hands as well. You're in good company because a lot of people do in fact believe in miracles. And this is the season for it, right? Christmas miracles. This is the time when miracles really take place. Tis the season. We, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, we believe in some pretty incredible things, really. We believe in things like a virgin birth, We believe in things like uh, instantaneous healing. We believe in things like God raising people from the dead. Or how about we believe in a God who is far bigger, far greater than we could ever imagine and yet is intimately involved in each one of our lives and cares about us Deeply. We believe these things because we believe in a God who is all-powerful, who can do absolutely anything. He can perform miracles in our lives. We probably don't experience miracles every single day, though, do we? Miracles aren't the ordinary, regular routine of things, I would imagine, What are our expectations in life around God intervening in our lives in some miraculous way? We're in the series right now, uh, it's our third Sunday of Advent, and the series is called Greater Expectations. And we've been looking at different characters in in the, the Christmas story, so far Mary and Joseph, and... Uh, what we're trying to understand what expectations these people might have had in life and how did the coming of Jesus, who we believe is God, entering into this world in flesh and blood, how did the coming of Jesus change the expectations that people had or lead them to greater expectations in some way? And then how does that relate to us and to our lives? What expectations do we have in life? Maybe you expect a sermon that is about a Christmas story today and that expectation will be met for you (laughs) in this moment. We're gonna take care of that. What expectations do we have in life? And in what way will God actually exceed those expectations or More likely, in what way will God change our expectations and bring our expectations in line with what He wants, with what He desires? We're gonna be telling the story from the Gospel of Luke this morning. We're gonna be in Luke chapter two. So if you have a Bible or if you have a device, you might wanna pull it up, Luke chapter two. It's a little bit longer section, since it's a story here. Luke uh, was one of the early followers of Jesus after Jesus died and rose from the dead. As far as we know, he wasn't there following along with Jesus, and in this account, he's trying to tell the story of how Jesus came, why he came, how he, what he did while he was here, what his life was like, how he died, and then uh, why he was raised from the dead and Luke is an intricate storyteller and all of the things that he is saying are tied together there are connections throughout his story no one part of the story can just be read in isolation and in fact the whole the story that Luke is telling is highly connected to the whole story of scripture to bible to the bible so we're going to see that Today as well, But even just in the early parts of what we're seeing with Luke and what he's telling, it starts off, he uh, tells us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is an older priest and, and Elizabeth, his wife, and the angel Gabriel who comes and appears to them, uh, to Zechariah specifically, announcing good news to him, telling him that he's going to end up having a son and that he's gonna name that son John. Then the angel Gabriel appears again to somebody else, this time to Mary. But again, making an announcement to this person to Mary about a son who is going to come. And this son is going to be the son of God. Now Elizabeth's pregnancy was a miracle because she was beyond childbearing years and had been barren her whole life. Mary's pregnancy is a miracle because she was a virgin. Now these two women are actually related to each other, so they got together at one point while they were pregnant, and the Holy Spirit was there too, and the Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth and made her speak prophetic words over Mary. Mary responded with something that we typically call the Magnificat, and in this like really beautiful poetry, Mary declares many things, including this. She says, he, that is God, has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. This is gonna end up being a major theme throughout the Gospel of Luke, that God is going to bring low the powerful and he's going to raise up the powerless. Enter the shepherds into our story, who are the characters that we get to see today in the Christmas story. This group of powerless shepherds who are out in their field caring for their flock. They're not kings, they're not priests, they're not governors. They're just ordinary people doing ordinary things, living their lives in ordinary ways, doing the same thing that they do night after night after night. But this isn't any normal night. This is the night that Jesus is born. And so an angel appears to them, just as has already happened in the story a couple of times. Maybe it's Gabriel, Again, and the angel makes an announcement about a son who is to be born. And the angel comes in glory. Verse 9 Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Glory is something that is talked about or that we get kind of pictures of throughout the Bible hundreds of times. And it's often something really miraculous when it happens. The Israelites, when they were uh, set free from captivity in Egypt, when God rescued them, he brought them to Mount Sinai, and then God came down on Mount Sinai in glory, which looked like smoke and fire and thunder and lightning. And just like the shepherds in our story here, the Israelites were terrified. Before they left Mount Sinai, they constructed a tabernacle, which is like a tent a little mobile temple that they could take around through the wilderness. And as they completed building this tent, this tabernacle, the Lord's glory filled the tabernacle in an incredibly dramatic way. Nobody could even go in at first when that happened. Then when they finally made it to the promised land, they built a permanent temple, one made out of stone. And as soon as King Solomon, the king at that time, finished completing the temple, God's glory came and filled the temple again in this really dramatic way. God's glory ended up departing, though. It ended up leaving Israel. Israel. Because of their own doing, because of choices that Israel made to turn away from God and to turn toward other gods, they ended up being conquered by other nations and being taken away to be captive. And for 70 years, they were captive before they could return to the promised land. But even after they returned, the glory didn't come with them. It never returned in the same way that it was there before. And it didn't return for hundreds of years. So for hundreds of years, they had been waiting for the glory of God. Israelite poetry captures some of the feelings of these moments really well. Psalm 74 is one of those instances where it captures this idea of being conquered, being held captive, and then waiting. The first few verses here, "O oh God, why have you rejected us so long? Why is your anger so intense against the sheep of your pasture? Welcome, or, uh, notice the uh, sheep and field imagery there. Remember that we are the people you chose long ago, the tribe you redeemed as your own special possession. That's what God said to them at Sinai. And remember Jerusalem, your home here on earth. Walk through the awful ruins of the city. See how the enemy has destroyed your sanctuary. That's temple language, the place where God's glory dwelled. And skip down to verse nine. We no longer see your miraculous signs. All the prophets are gone. And no one can tell us when it will end. I feel like that verse just captures the feeling of waiting for a long time, for God to move in some way. And I return to this verse often in my own life because there are times where I'm like, hey God, could you just like smack me over the head? Could you show me some glory? Could you do something big in my life? And of course, that doesn't always happen. There are glimpses of it now, now and then, but so much of life is just waiting, waiting in the ordinary waiting in the day-to-day things. And this verse reminds me that that's been a universal human experience that people have had. It also, I think, sheds a lot of good light on this story that we're reading right now about the shepherds. They're out there in the field with their sheep. They're not in the temple. They're not in the sanctuary. They're not in a palace. They're not in any place where you would expect glory to be. They're in a field with sheep. And the glory of God finally returns. God finally produces a miraculous sign again. God finally speaks through the prophets again. And these shepherds are seeing that. They're seeing the whole host of God's angels all around them. It's incredible. When you wait a long time, sometimes your expectations for something good to happen dwindle away or even die. But I'm convinced that God, that we should actually expect Good, big things from God. We should expect that God is actually more accessible to us than what we probably expect already. That he is more active in our lives. That he is doing more around us, even in this room, than what we fully know. It's in our ordinary lives though, where we get to see the glory of God. We don't get to see it necessarily like these shepherds do. That's a specific moment, a critical, pivotal moment in history. But God's still here, his angels are still here, and it's in our ordinary day-to-day lives where we can actually experience some of the glory of God. When it doesn't happen dramatically, we should be looking for how God enters in subtly. Because that's often how God enters into our, day, into our days, into our lives, into our circumstances. He does it in a subtle way. And that's actually kind of like what we see here in this story. Look at verse 10. Don't be afraid, the angel said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, the King, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now that's big news. And you will recognize him by this sign you'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a feeding trough, lying in a manger. God shows up on the scene and he doesn't do it through some great miracle of show, he does it through ordinary circumstances. He does it through childbirth and it's gonna be 30 years before anyone really takes notice of this child. 30 years before people really start talking about him. All of this language here is significant to what's been happening throughout the story of the Bible. Luke is tying it in with everything that's already been said. You think about God as a savior and a messiah, a lord, a king coming from the line of David and being born as a baby. We can just look at a few passages in Isaiah to see how all of this connects, that God is a savior. Truly, O God of Israel, our savior, you work in mysterious ways. We don't always see it. It is mysterious. Or that God's coming to us is going to be good news for everybody. We can see that in Isaiah. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. Or how about that the promised one that God is going to send the Messiah is going to come from the line of David, is going to be a child, a son, born to somebody, and that is going to bring peace to the world. Again, Isaiah, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies Those are the angels that are there with the shepherds right now. Heaven's armies will make this happen. This little one, this little one who is born is the fulfillment of all of that that was promised so long ago. And this little one is gonna end up being a great king. And this little one is gonna be uh, someone who has a government that brings peace. And this little one is gonna be one who reigns, rules forever. His reign will never have an end. There's a problem though. There's another king in the story. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 2. At this time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire, or more literally, it says, throughout the world. Augustus is the most powerful person in the world at that time. This is someone who thinks they've got power over the world. He's decreed that a census be taken of the whole world. This is someone who has conquered to get to where he is now as the first legitimate emperor of the massive Roman Empire. And in comes Jesus, a very different kind of king. One who enters in subtly and comes humbly but this one will be the king of kings and the lord of lords. This one is the one who will bring peace. He's the prince of peace. He is the one who is the son of God. Remember, God is gonna lower the powerful and he's gonna raise up the powerless. So how do we respond to this? My guess is you've heard a lot of this before, Jesus came as a humble babe, lying in a manger and the shepherds came and the magi came and maybe you know he is the son of God, that he's gonna be the king of kings. But how do we respond to this? How do you respond to this today? I think the passage gives us a few clues in ways that we can. If you look toward the end of what we've been reading, verse 18, all who heard the shepherd's story, so all the people that got wind of what had happened that night in the field, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. We've got those who hear the story and experience respond with astonishment. We've got Mary who's watching and keeping these things in her heart. And then we've got the shepherds who are glorifying and praising God. Maybe you've experienced a miracle in your life. By the show of hands earlier, there are a lot in here who have. Maybe you've experienced something in your life where you're just like, can't be explained in any other way other than God did this thing. Or maybe you haven't, and that's okay, we can tone it down a little bit too. Maybe you can just remember a time where you you experienced God working in your life in some way, where you recognized that God answered some kind of prayer for you and you thought, yes, that was God who did that in that moment. Or maybe just a time where you can remember, boy, I just really felt the love of God in this time at that moment I really felt it it was something different that I hadn't experienced before maybe when that first happened you had some feeling whatever the circumstances were where you're just like this is so awesome God you are so good for doing this right now. Thank you for answering this prayer. Thank you for showing me that you love me. Thank you for performing this miracle in my life. And like the people who heard the shepherd's story, you respond with astonishment. You experience wonder at who God is and what God would do for you in your life. But, as is probably typical, we don't experience those kinds of things every single day, right? We have periods of waiting. We have periods of longing for God. And so then our response could be really in line with Mary. As she's watching this happen to her son, as she's seen all of this unfold. And twice it says in this part of the story here that Mary saw these things and she kept them in her heart. Or some translations say she treasured them. The word uh, has a sense of guarding. She guarded these things in her heart. When we see something, we respond to it with astonishment when God does something in our lives, and then we have to go back to the ordinary day-to-day things, the mundane things of our lives. We need to treasure up. We need to guard. We need to keep those glorious moments in our heart to carry us through until the next one happens, until the next one appears for us. Then you've got the response of the shepherds. They were glorifying and praising God. But did you notice the little detail here? They went back to their flocks. They had just seen the host of God's angels singing out before them, glory to God in the highest, Go find a baby, and then they go and they see it's just like what the angel told us. It's amazing. It's incredible. Okay, well, you guys probably need some privacy. Uh, We'll go back to our flocks now, okay? (laughs) They went from the glory of God to their stinking sheep. And who knows if they ever saw anything like that or experienced anything like that ever again. They went back to the ordinary things that they had to do. The same thing night after night after night. They went back to their flock. And maybe like Mary, they had treasured up or kept in their hearts or guarded what they had experienced in that night. It's important that we do that. Because if we don't, we might look somewhere else for meaning or significance or purpose or even power in some way. Honestly, in my own journey, these are the moments that are hardest for me the mundane things of life. When I'm feeling low, if I'm feeling down, that's typically because I'm just caught up in all the day-to-day routines and I'm asking, why? What am I doing? Where is the meaning? Where is the purpose? Where is the significance in all of this laundry? In <laughs> all of these dishes? in all of the typical things that we have to do. We all need meaning and significance and purpose in life. We're built that way. And so if we don't find it in the right place, we're gonna look somewhere else. And you remember, there's another king in this story. There's Augustus. Augustus, who was the great nephew and the adopted son of and the named heir and successor to Julius Caesar. He went on to conquer more for the Roman Empire and then to become the first legitimate emperor of that empire, to become that king. He brought about great peace because he had conquered everybody to the point where nobody was gonna fight against him. And so in his own writings of himself or in many writings about him, there are some key things that were said about him a few times over. Like he is the savior of the world or that he was the bringer of peace or even that he was the son of God. All of the things that we see and know of Jesus in this story and in the rest of scripture, Augustus was a false image of all of that. But he was probably an easier one to go to at times a little more concrete, a little more visible and in front of us. What are the things that you go to in your life to try and bring you peace in some way? What are the things practically in your life that function as a savior for you in some way? What are the things that even play the role of God in your life in some way, that capture your attention, that you look to for power and provision and protection. That's what we do when we look for another God. We're looking for power and provision and protection. We look for maybe our our security, our finances, our ability to control and plan our lives. We look to certain political candidates or laws that we can enact government in order to be the savior for us. We give our attention to so many other things as the false son of God, as the Augustus in our life. What are the Augustus things? that you have, that you hold on to in your life. In some aspect of our response to this story, some aspect of our response has to be bowing down to King Jesus. All of those other things need to be dethroned in our lives because Jesus is the only legitimate king that will take the throne of everything. All of the rest is gonna pass away. What are the things that we need to dethrone in our lives during this Advent season to fill up our, the throne of our hearts with more of Jesus as the King, our true Savior, the one who will bring us peace, the Son of God. What expectations do we try to fulfill elsewhere rather than looking to Jesus, who I'm confident will actually change our expectations into something greater? Something greater than what we have in mind right now. That glory that I think we probably all want from God can actually be experienced in the most ordinary things in our life if we're attuned to God and not looking elsewhere to an Augustus for that glory in some way. He is more accessible to us than we could ever imagine. He is more present with us in this room than what we can even realize. He'll exceed our expectations and even change them into what they should be, even while we're out in the field, tending to our flocks. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for being a good king. Thanks for loving us so much. Thanks for being a good shepherd, Jesus. You shepherd us well, so lovingly, subtly. You don't domineer over us, but you continually invite us into more. And ultimately, you will be the king of kings. You will be the Lord of lords. I pray God that through your spirit, you would help us to knock off the things that sit on the thrones in our heart that aren't of you. And that you would sit squarely there. And that we would know this Advent season unlike, uh, in ways unlike we have before, that you are good, You are righteous, you are just, you are peaceful. That you are the king, God, who will lead us to where we need to go. We love you and we trust you. Amen.